Subscribe to The Spectator this Christmas and get the next 12 weeks of print and online access as well as a bottle of Paul Roger champagne, all for just £12. This offer is available in the UK only. Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash Santa to subscribe. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is The Sunday Roundup. This morning, the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster... Oliver Dowden took to the airwaves and asked the unions representing nurses and ambulance workers to call off their strikes. Dowden told Laura Coonsberg that the collective amount being asked for by unions would take the government's total bill to £28 billion. Coonsberg challenged him on how the government had reached its conclusions. How have you worked out that it would cost every household £1,000 a year to give public sector workers an inflation matching pay rise? So we have taken the level of inflation, which is, is currently about 10, 11%, Mm -hmm. and we have projected that forward for next year because that's what you'd expect it uh, to to apply to, and that would give £1,000 for every family Mm if we match that for the public sector. Well, we've had a look at your numbers, as you'd expect, and we've asked the Treasury also how they worked it out. Now, your figures have used the inflation figure of 11%, which is just for one month. The OBR actually projects that next year inflation will be far less than that. Not to speak of it, when you're normally working about um, pay negotiations, you've cut an average of inflation, not just one month, which is what you have done. So it's not £28 billion, is it? Well, the requests from the striking unions across the board is generally about uh, CPI. That, and the CPI level inflation is currently mm-hmm. between 10 and 11%. And actually, if you look in the case of nurses, they want RPI plus 5%. Actually, that gives you 19%. So you could actually argue that we're underestimating the number. Well, you think it might be more than that. If that's the case, then why have the independent number crunchers, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, come up with a figure of £14 billion as being the cost of doing this? Well, you'd have to ask the IFS how they justify their numbers. But what I can tell you is our number is justified on the basis of taking the inflation number, which mm-hmm. is what the unions are asking for, and projecting it forward to next year. That would give you a cost of about £28 billion, pounds, and that's £1,000 per But your inflation numbers that you're using are actually inaccurate and out of date. If you're talking about next year's pay settlement, nobody expects inflation. The OBR, who are independent, don't expect inflation to be anything like that next year. And this for nurses and other public sector workers watching, this is about this year's pay deal. So if you want to be honest with people this morning, your numbers are not... are not completely accurate, are they? Well, actually, Laura, I completely disagree with you on that. If the unions are turning around to us and saying, for example, the nurses' union, no, we don't want 19%. If the fire brigades' union and others are saying, question, actually, Oliver we don't Dane. want to have I'm CPI. I'm asking you about your fact, estimate. No, this is an important no, no, this point. Is, this is an important we, point we can for only, our viewers. Forgive me, we can only take the number mm-hmm. that we have now. The, number of, mm-hmm. the inflation number we have now, it was a bit over 11% last month. It's dropped very slightly to 10.7%. It is reasonable to take that number and project it forward and say what it would cost next year. But now, why wouldn't if they're saying that they want, the saying that they want to have a lower, Minister. if they are saying that they want to have a lower number, mm-hmm. then that is a different proposition. Dowden stressed that the government will be seeking to follow the recommendations of the NHS pay review body. Coonsberg asked why the government had previously made exceptions to following this advice from other pay review bodies, and if NHS staff should not also be a special case. Our viewers will have heard ministers also say, as you have done this morning, say repeatedly that you have to follow the recommendations of the pay review bodies. How many times has the government ignored their recommendations this year? Well, I think if you, if you look across the piece for all the public 
uh, pay review body recommendations. I think if you take sort of 20 or 30 of the, the past few years, I think there's only been, been about three or four occasions when we haven't been able to follow that, and that's been an exceptional circumstance. Well, there have been four this year alone, actually, four times when the government has ignored the pay review bodies who everybody uh, says are independent and they have a job to do. So if you've already ignored them four times this year, why can't you ignore them on the nurses' strike? For precisely the reasons that I've set out to you, that we want to take the politics out of this. We have an independent process and we should adhere to that. And by the way, it's not just us saying it. Labour's shadow chancellor was saying in the summer that we should adhere to it. If we don't have this kind of independent framework, mm -hmm. we've got no basis for ensuring that we do this in a fair way across the board. But why and this was is, it okay? This is, this but, but... is all about making mm -hmm. sure we have a fair, mm -hmm. straightforward way of, of doing this to meet the needs of nurses and, and, and other public sector workers whilst balancing the risks but why, of public finances. But why was it okay then to ignore those recommendations when it came to prison service pay or senior civil servant pay or judges pay or as Jeremy Hunt, who's now the Chancellor, tried to ignore the recommendations back in 2014? Why was it okay to ignore them then and it wouldn't be okay to ignore them now? Well, I, I think in those specific circumstances that there, were, there was acute pressure on, on public finances at the time. No, well, but, prison but, service, but, but civil Laura, service, Laura, judges, Laura, that's you this a, year. If you give me a moment to, to answer this question. The public sector pay review bodies have looked at the level of inflation, by the way, the expected level of inflation. They've looked at the pressure on the lowest paid workers. That's why, for example, they've given 9%. Mm -hmm. So actually by following that, that is ensuring that nurses will get a significantly higher level of of pay settlement they have done previously and actually by following the pay review body recommendations we're giving some of the highest pay settlements for 20 years. Koonsberg also interviewed the Shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper asking her whether a Labour government would scrap a new offence the government has introduced. The government has introduced this notion of the Nationality and Borders Act where you create an offence of illegal entry. Now that matters because it makes a criminal of anyone who comes to this country who hasn't taken a legal route if they haven't got permission. Would you scrap that offence if you win the election? Well, it's not working, is it? So That wasn't the, the question. Would you but, scrap, would you scrap so it's it? It's important to look at what, what, what the government has done. So they promised a whole series of things in their Nationalities and Borders Bill. They promised that they would make it a, a criminal offence. They promised that it would stop the boats' crossings. They promised that it would um, break the business model. They promised that it would cut the number of boats and that everybody would be returned. In fact, the opposite has happened. But Yvette Cooper, We've I'm asking a you a increase. very specific question. I know, but if you were Home Secretary, the government has introduced this concept, this offence of coming to this country and taking an illegal entry, would a Labour government scrap that offence? It's really important for all the reasons that you've been saying, but it's a very specific question. Would you scrap that offence? It is, but it's important to see why it is not working, Laura. So the reason well, it's not working, happened, why you well, let, me finish, it, or then let me finish the point. It's important because it is not working. What you've seen instead is an increase in the number of boats, You've seen uh, a drop in the number of decisions being taken, longer delays in the system, and all that they've done is ramp up the rhetoric. So what it shouldn't be is a criminal offence for someone to arrive in from Ukraine who has been fleeing persecution and conflict. Well, Ukrainians can come here asylum. legally, as you, as you well know. But if they don't have the right papers, then they are effectively committing a crime. But if, as that you doesn't say... make any sense and it doesn't help. So we don't think that is what the arrangement should be and that is what we voted against. We voted against the Nationalities and Borders Bill because all it's done is increase the rhetoric 
and it's actually made the problem worse. But the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, spoke to Koonsberg about his recent visit to Ukraine. The other thing that struck me was seeing the site of the mass grave at Butcher, mm -hmm. the photos of what had been done to the people there, um, the rape, the massacres, the torture by the occupying Russian forces. And um, hearing from those who are studying uh, the, the ideology which is driving these attacks, that it is an ideology of conquest and it wants Ukraine less worried about the people but very worried about getting historic Ukraine back and realising how important it is that we support the, U the Ukrainian effort because essentially they are... Um, if, if they go, it's not going to stop from their ideology. And that, that was very strange. There was a guy called Ivan, who, um, uh, who's a Baptist minister, runs a training college for clergy there. And um, he's been... Get, he, during the occupation, he was getting people out across a bridge called the Bridge of Hope. Yeah. And there are crosses all the way down the side of that bridge, which is blown up. And each cross represents someone who was killed by a sniper as they went across. And it just brings home the reality of the suffering and the importance of our support for Ukraine. But, but often there would be attempts, suggestions of reconciliation, making peace. But from what you're saying, that's, that's not possible. Ukraine must well, be supported till the I've end. I've spent 20 years working in areas of severe conflict. And one of the first rules is you can't talk about reconciliation while the guns are firing because people are just concentrating on whether they're alive for the next 20 minutes. And uh, for them, reconciliation, uh, they were talking about this. They were saying, for us, that word means surrender. And we're not going to do that. I think it is, there is a way forward, and that's withdrawal and ceasefire by Russian forces. Welby also reported a sobering stat on the effect of the war on inflation here in the UK. It's the other massive issue going on at the moment, which is the cost of living. And we see it in the church in 400% increase uh, in people coming to the, four, uh, to the food banks. 400% you said? 400% in the last 18 months um, of the number of people seeking help. We're seeing this continually, debt rising uh, pressures on families, just at, at all sorts of levels. And finally, the editor of The Sun, Victoria Newton, rejected claims made by the Duke and Duchess of Sussex that her paper harboured an immutable bias against them in favour of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. In those programmes and in the newspapers, there's a real uh, narrative from Harry and Meghan that there was somehow a sort of conspiracy against them between the palace and parts of the British press. As the editor of The Sun, you'd probably know more about that than almost anyone in the country. I mean, does that, does that stack up? 100% not. Um, uh, we have lots of dealings with the press officers at the time for Harry and Meghan, and in particular, I've remembered some of my dealings with them going back to when they were still in the family. Um, never once was I given a negative story about other members of the royal family um, to, 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 you know, look after William and Kate, for example. Um, and, in fact, a lot of the time, um, we were given 
more positive stories about Harry and Meghan from the royal household officially. So I can think, give you a really good example. We found out when it was going to be um, Meghan's Hindu, and um, we kindly agreed that we wouldn't say where it was so it wouldn't ruin the event for us, so she could still go and have a nice time, but whilst we still got the story. That was personally agreed with Prince Harry. So the idea that we were always favouring William and Kate and the other royals over them is just simply not true. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shops podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening. Thank you.